Hello and welcome. My name is Joel Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's episode, Luke and I are joined by Catherine Collette. Catherine is the author of The Helpline by Text Publishing at 2018. The Helpline was long listed for the 2019 Indie Book Awards and will be released in North America, the UK, and Italy in 2019. Catherine also co-hosts the First Time Podcast with author Kate Mildenhall. Part reality show, part writer's masterclass, the first time is about the first time you publish a book. In the media section of the podcast, we talk about Norseman, King of Kong, and Conan, the 1982 film. For the topic, we talk about first drafting and the strangeness that that process is all about. It was a real pleasure to chat with Catherine, and it's one of those podcasts that I ended up thinking about well after we had finished recording. Don't hesitate to get in touch via our Twitter at specficvic, or email me at my email mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Jill Martin and we are once again at the Brunswick Street Bookstore and I am joined by ever so loyal co-host Luke. How's it going, Luke? Oh yes, I'm still here. That's yes. I see you busy <laughs> uh, note-taking away. Note-taking. Is there something special coming up for us? Um, yeah, not really. Not really? Not even a little bit? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Very unspecial. There you go. How has your week been, Luke? Oh, still, still uh, recovering from festival. Oh, yeah, been, that. Been a, that was a that was a long weekend. That, that was. was a long weekend. <laughs> some twelve-hour days there. Some it was a lot of fun, but um, there's a lot of work to be done around it too. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you never quite realize the amount of work that goes into something like that until you do it. And in our case, two years in a row. But it seemed like the second year was just. Longer time to go back to just buying tickets to other festivals, I think. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Nah. Well, we have a guest on the podcast, as we always do. Catherine, welcome. Thanks, thanks for having me. Fantastic. How has your festival experiences been recently? Have you got any good festival stories? Oh, you think? I did my first festival in September last year, mm. just when my book, The Helpline, came out. Sure. And I had the very great privilege of sitting next to Mem Fox at the signing tables afterwards. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Mem Fox wrote Possum Magic, very long queue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Quite a bit longer than mine. Yeah. Um, which is a very humbling uh, yeah. experience. How did, that, oh, how no. did that feel post? Were you just buoyed by being next to uh, Yeah. You didn't really notice? or Oh, you noticed. You noticed? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a funny thing. I mean, I don't know how all of the festivals work, but for Brisbane, they have quite a large foyer area and then they have written your name on a little A4 sheet of paper sure. and they pin it to the wall and yeah, that's yeah. how you find where you're sitting. Hmm. Uh, but the queues do vary quite right. a yeah. lot. And you just kind of have to sit for a bit. You sort of sit after your session maybe for 10 or 15 minutes, Yeah, which can be a long 10 and 10 and 15 <laughs> You're just sitting there and smiling <laughs> and, and not letting it get to you. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I think at Speculate we also had that where there, there were varying lengths of queues, and I think the the thing that we tried to do is force as that didn't have a, a very long queue. Either the volunteers would go up and, and yeah. start talking to them, Which uh, is not as a oh poor you, but as a you know we're interested in what you've got to say, uh, so we'll take any opportunity we can get to chat. Mm. So th- there's that 
that element of it mm. as well. There's also Trent Dalton on Twitter recently. Sure. Someone posted a picture of his queue at, I'm not sure which festival it was at. Yeah. But I think the queue was an hour and a half long. Like wow. just a phenomenal, <laughs> almost a burden. Yeah. Sort of Will hurt your hand, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just incredible. It's mm. on the queues and it, it definitely taxes people differently as well. Mm. I remember a while back there was a documentary about Neil Gaiman and he was talking about the idea that um, he had done so many book tours and, you know, the lines would go out like it was a huge church cathedral and it, it just went out of it into the street. And, you know, the, you know, he had to dunk his hands in ice at the end of the day Ooh, because wow. of how much it taxed his hand. Yeah. Wow. And that would... That it's would, not insignificant. Yeah, <laughs> and there was the agent who would, who would bring him the ice bucket wherever he went. And oh then he would go back in the green room God. and then just dunk his hands in the ice and just. That is oh. a great character detail, though, isn't mm. it? it? Like is. the, yeah. the physical impact of the toll that it so takes. So many autographs. Do you want to be that last person in line who ruins his <laughs> hand forever? Oh <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But Margaret Atwood has created, I'm sure, a, a remote signing pen. I'm not 100% sure how really? it works. But I'm sure she signs people's books from a remote well, like location. Like virtual reality? Yeah, like a... Really? It that sounds, sounds like cheating weird. somehow. I, yeah. I should look up the logistics of that yeah. before I start telling that story. But that's mm. maybe that's the future. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Fake signatures, digital signatures, you know. Yeah, digital signatures. Just yeah. not fake. Pre-signed. Have you ever yeah. bought a pre-signed book? No, I, I haven't actually. I have brought them on Booktopia. They are often signed. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, think I'm doing picked, that yeah. uh, more and more these yeah. days. Um, I might have picked up one in an op shop once, but. I feel plagued by someone brought a library book to uh, an event that I was doing. Sure. And I signed it. And I'm still like, should I have done that? Should I? Yeah. Is Burundar Library going to call me? It's my book, though. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. I I think they would mind. No phone call yet. There you go. Give it a little bit of time. So, Catherine, how's your week been? What have you been up to? It's been good. We are, my family, we have two kids. Mm. The eldest is five, and she's just started school. So, we're in the last week of term one, second last week of term one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we're all just limping along. How's the energy levels? (laughs) It's pretty low. All right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Goodness. So, that sort of dominated the world a bit. I'm sure we'll chat about it a little later when it comes to writing, but also balancing needs is a very interesting thing. I'm doing the 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. writing stints at the moment for exactly that reason. Yeah. There you go. Well, shall we move into the media section where I have nothing to say at all? <laughs> uh, because Speculate's pretty much taken up the last couple of weeks. But Luke, why don't I put you on the spot and get us started? Here I am on the spot. Well, yeah. I, I just wanted to bring up one. It's been out there for a while now. It has, um, yeah. Norseman, a TV series. And I, I looked up the details because I was fascinated by it. Yeah. And it's actually filmed in Norway. I yeah. thought it was like an American sort of spoof. Yeah, spoof is it, job. Is but it's it actually a really. Uh, it's a mixture. See, it's it's like dark, or black humor. Mm. Um, but I mean, it, it kind of tries to take you on a little bit of a, a spoof of the Vikings series. Sure. But then it also throws in all these other things that are like uh, life comments and things that yeah. you, you expect to hear in the modern day. Like, yeah, uh, what's one? What the one thing that gets thrown around is uh, 
Um, I can't remember. They're all, the they're all on the tip yeah. of my tongue. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but is it, so is it an authentic experience? Or like, what I mean by that is, is it, are they Norwegian actors? They are. are they? They're all Norwegian actors, yes. Right, okay. And they've, they've actually won an award, a couple of awards for yeah. their series now, so... Um, is it subtitles then? Oh no, no. See, they they film it in Norwegian and in English at the same time, so it's like a bit like those Welsh shows yeah, where they'll do yeah. one and then the other. I, I mean, like you know, in uh, India they film in three languages, four languages, yeah, but yeah, at the same they, time. And so they that's do it exactly the same. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I don't know if they do it one shoot after the other. I'm not sure how they do it exactly. Well, the logistics but <laughs> of it is, yeah. But uh, no, it's it's quite interesting. Um, it's quite on the crude side. It's very much aiming to be humorous but um it also pulls up these tiny little things that people have uh ideas of vikings incorrectly like some guy puts horns on his helmet like you don't even look like a viking anymore what are you doing you know so it's trying to like get rid of yeah 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 yeah. it's 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 quite clever humor like if you if you pick between the like toilet humor and everything else (laughs) it's very very interesting moments there so yeah um, yeah, it was quite worth a watch. They're actually getting another season in next year, I think. So they've they got two following by upcoming third. So no, it's good. I guess people always have a very bleak view of Scandi uh, films and dramas, but it's nice to see a bit of a <laughs> a nice, lighthearted uh, spoof or satire coming out of that. No, it's as well. funny. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely worth a watch. Interesting, <laughs> Catherine. How about yourself? I so I'm working on my second book, which we're going to talk mm. about. But I've fallen down in the research phase a rabbit hole of really good documentaries. None of them are particularly new. Yeah, mm. um, King of Kong. Have you? Oh no. my god, it's <laughs> such a good documentary. Yeah. It's a bit of the ilk, although it's true. Uh, like the Spellbound documentary right. set in the mm. American Spelling yeah, Bee. Yeah. Best in Show is another one I've been mm-hmm. watching, which is more of a mockumentary. But King of Kong follows, it's set, must be mid-90s or something, and it follows a guy whose name is Steve Wiebe. Yeah. And Steve Wiebe wants to become the Donkey Kong champion, wants to get mm. the highest world Donkey Kong score. Yeah. Oh. And it's sort of a little bit after the heyday of Donkey yeah. Kong, yep. but it's those old school style yeah, machines. Yep. gaming yeah. machines, that sort of thing. And so he, in order to win and become the champion, he has to beat a guy called, what's his name? I keep wanting to call him Billy Madison, but it's Billy something else. And it just is this wonderful following of these people that are all very deeply invested in Donkey Kong. Right. And are just really interesting individuals and what's really nice about it which is very nice about best in show and a few other documentaries as well is that you sort of watch them as an observer doing things and Mm. and being really you know how they practice donkey kong all that sort of thing but then you have all these straight to camera interviews and there's sort of this gap between the way the person seeks to be portrayed through the interview and and then their portrayal through this sure. sort of more observational technique, of the yeah, hmm. just fabulous documentaries, particularly. So, you know, so is the the way it's shot, or the, the I guess that the tone of it is it very much like wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience, or is it more of a for King of Kong? No, yeah, it's it. Well, it is. It's sort of not a. a it, it follows all the documentary techniques, and it's serious in the sense that it's not. Um, 
that it's true. It's real. Yeah. You know, they're mm. real people, and sure. it's following real people who are who are very invested in the thing that they're invested in. Mm-hmm. But it's there's so much, so many comedic elements in it at the same yeah. time. Just because I love things that are people who are a hundred percent invested yeah. in yeah, something yeah, that yeah, seems yeah. so niche to everyone yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that there are rules, and there's sort yeah. of ways of being that are accepted and not accepted and people are disputing the you know the various yeah. lines in the sand it's just it's really good yeah it's like mm. like a chess championship exactly. or something like I, or lego is yeah, the or same lego. kind of obsession <laughs> lego competitions you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but exactly that sort of yeah. stuff yeah um, yeah so that interesting that's yeah that's so cool. so what what brought on that um the book that I'm writing yeah. is set around public speaking competitions. Sure. So people might have heard of Toastmasters, which yeah. is a public speaking club. Mm. And so it follows multiple characters as they mm. compete to become the national champion. So I sort of started with Spellbound mm. and then was looking at Best in Show and then yeah. just went into strange <laughs> documentaries. Yeah. Of which there are so many fabulous Yeah. Ones, yeah. You know? yeah I have a question for you. Um because I don't know that much about Toastmasters, but I know vaguely. Um, if you if you get through Toastmasters and you're like champion of the world, does anyone trust you anymore? <laughs> <laughs> if that's on your resume. <laughs> well, does anyone I think hmm, he's manipulating yeah, me? Yeah, is there a stigma there? <laughs> yeah, he's persuading me. Yeah. But Toastmasters is interesting because. It has, I mean, there are clubs all over the world, and for most people, it's just about going and you know, learning to speak in public and mm. sure. getting rid of inhibitions in that sense. Yeah. But then there's this sort of other stream where people want to compete and want to be the best. And, yeah. mm. and often the the types of speeches they give are probably more motivating than mm. persuade. Like mm. a bit, oh, who's the guys at Tony oh, Robbins? Oh, yeah, Robbins? T- Tony Robbins. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that sort the chest of thumping. Very, yeah, yeah <laughs> right. that speeches of that <laughs> Very ilk. odd, yeah. But what's cool about it from an analytical point of view is the fact that within the speech within the judging process of speaking Mm. very few marks are actually given to the content of the speech Mm -hmm. so it's really a lot less performance which is very meta in some yeah Yeah, it's like it doesn't really matter what you say it's how you say it Mm. (laughs) right Um, how interesting yeah yeah, so they hit i I would love to to go in a research hole and find out like the origin yeah. of that. Yeah, like how how that came to be, unless you have that knowledge at hand. I don't know why <laughs> it is so I guess because it's about teaching people to speak and it's probably a very non judgmental space sure. as yeah. well. Um Yeah, but in a competitive sense you would think mm. the content would have you know, yeah, it would have a bias one, and I guess it does in a roundabout way. So yeah. you know, they do have different categories of speech. So there's a humorous speech, and so some of hmm. the marking for that is around audience response. Mm. So you sort of, um, you know, that's kind of if a you've proxy got people engaged. Yeah, yeah. But then I went to so I've been going and watching speaking championships, and went to the humorous category, which is very, it's designed not to be at all like stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah, not like a comedy, it, ha- yeah. it has to be, it is a very particular type of speech yeah. and it's how you use the stage and, you know, it is meant to be funny. But I think some of the, one guy in particular, his brand of humour was, in my opinion, 
sort of a bit comedian like 20 years ago in terms right, of okay. the portrayal yeah, of women, yeah, yeah, for yeah, example. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and mm. so on the one hand, you're going, okay, well, yes, content is not marked, but on the yeah. same, you know, is it. It's not offensive content necessarily, is aged but it's, it's really badly aged. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hmm. Not as funny anymore, yeah. Yeah. We've moved on from that. Mm. Yeah. It, it, was, it was funny. This is a, this is a piece of media um, that only got sparked um, because at, at the last panel at Speculate, um, we, ha- we had a, a playlist of, of songs that we would play before each panel. And the last panel... I had chosen to play the uh, main theme from the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan film, and it it was it was it is a is a fantastic score. Um, I don't uh, ba- remember how it goes now. Yeah, Basil Polduris <laughs> is the is the um, I'm I'm sure I'm messing up that pronunciation of his name. Wait, didn't he do the Gladiator one as well? I don't think. I think that was Lisa Gerard and Hans Zimmer. Uh, did the Gladiator soundtrack. I don't know. I, I know I've seen that name before. That's Basil Paul Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's a fairly well-known composer, especially during yeah. that era. And I remember when I put that song on, I wanted to see the reaction in the audience because I wanted to see if, you know, I, I put the power of love on for another <laughs> another panel. And obviously that got great, great reactions. And I put this, and most people seem to not get where it was from now i understand that conan is not exactly a seminal like you know watching experience but it got me thinking about films in that era right because i watched conan when i was pretty young um and i thought it was terrible i i really didn't enjoy the movie but now i watched it again and i loved it there was just something so absurd about the entire watching experience it's more like a comedy or like a Satire. It, 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 in one sense, yes, but I, I wonder if that's just the way we're. No, 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 that's it. what I mean. Like, it's not necessarily exactly. trying to be, but yeah. <laughs> the way that it's been written. It's and just... there was such a, a lack of maybe self awareness when they were making the movie. <laughs> of... So it's not. I haven't seen it. <laughs> right. So it's... Oh, this is this definitely it's... should be on your watching right. list, Catherine. In in all the wrong reasons. It's just it's just a very weird uh film it's sort of like um in the vein of excalibur um the john borman movie and i love all these weird esoteric films from that period i mean i don't suppose it was back then but it is sort of very camp i guess now but yeah i i really enjoyed conan in retrospect um and the sequels were pretty bad action films (laughs) but the original had such a childish glee. There was no bathos at all. There was no, you know, poking fun at itself and saying, "Oh, look, I'm, you know, I'm Conan and I'm played by really Arnold Schwarzenegger." Film, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Arnold Schwarzenegger played Conan. Like no one's going to take that seriously today. But, but back then it was like, wow, this is a serious film. Was that one of his first movies? It was it, 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 was well, it his first? No, it wouldn't be it, first. It was. Um, it was in the era when he sort of skyrocketed. Yeah. yeah. And so for him, it was like a very serious role anyway. Yeah, so. And, and the, one of the best actors in the movie was James Earl Jones, who I think some people might forget was the main villain of the movie, Falsa Doom. <laughs> you know, and obviously this is all taken from the source material, the Conan stories. But even they were a lot less camp than the movie itself. <laughs> but it, yeah, it just got me thinking about films that, in that period. And I'm sure I'll get... Um, Get some film buffs to talk about some campy movies at once. It almost sounds like the Hobbit cartoon. Yeah. Oh, oh that was a Strange Beast. <laughs> yeah, by Ralph Bakshi, wasn't uh, it? Potentially, I don't know who it was. Yeah, playing. I think so. Where all the tunes sounded like uh, American rally songs during the Cold War. 
the end period of filmmaking when they did fantasy, where they just had no clue what they were doing. They didn't know what they were yeah. yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. Like, Aragon had barbarian horns and, like, a Viking coat or something like that. Yep. It was ridiculous. Have you no, ever seen the movie crazy. Willow, Catherine? No. So, you showed so I haven't yet. She was She was busy. I want oh, to. I have to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Again, required watching material. I know. I'm trying to make it this Willow. week or something. Yes. It's not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type. No. Thing, no. It's, uh, oh, that's a great series. <laughs> it was done by George Lucas. It's one of Lucas's uh, less known cult classics. Um, and it had Val Kilmer in one of the starring roles. Um, and it's just such a strange... Again, just from, from memory, it was almost like a spoof of The Lord of the Rings. Almost, but again, like it, it has a similar structure. Oh, maybe it uh, didn't. No, I'm thinking of it wrong. Then again, yeah. it, it's very yeah. camp, but in all the best parts. And I think, <laughs> it, I think Willow stands up a bit more than Conan, perhaps now. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, because Val Kilmer's <laughs> in it. I think everyone. Well, no, because Willow was about. done was executed well. Well, that's true. As Conan well. was a bit. Yeah, I don't know. It was. Uh, it's an odd. It's an odd it's period funny. of filmmaking. It's funny. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Definitely worth watching once. <laughs> if nothing yeah. else, then to get the score. There you go. Well, one takeaway from this podcast, Catherine Conan. Good. Yeah. Conan and Willow. Yeah, Willow, Willow, Willow you should see. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very odd. Um, but let's move on, shall we, to the, the topic of the podcast. And um, let's hope we don't we don't get in, in, into any uh, first draft territory that's as bad as the Conan movie, I guess. That's the hope, anyway. <laughs> um, but first drafting is an interesting process. And if you're a writer, you've been through it uh, in one stage or another. Um, over the years of the podcast, we've sort of touched on different facets of the of the industry and of the process. We've talked about market, marketing, of like what the writer's life is. But this one is a little more... Uh, tangible, I guess is the word, uh, looking back at something that you either are doing or have done and trying to analyze that process a little bit. And that's first drafting. Now, first drafting is either an incredibly exciting time or an incredibly intimidating process or a mix somewhere in there between the two. Um, But obviously, this is not your first rodeo, Catherine, in the world (laughs) of first drafting. So why don't you get it started? How, sure. What was the... F- I guess let's... Uh, in, in the spirit of your own podcast, the first time yeah. podcast, um, working on that novel, uh, what was the process of that first draft? So first time around, mm. I very much started with a character. Sure. I didn't have a story. I didn't have a setting. I didn't really have anything. Okay. And I just started writing. And I mm. wrote from beginning to end... And then I sort of, I didn't even really read through what I had done, but I realized it needed some sort of a structure. Yeah. And so once I had that draft, I sort of imposed a structure and tried to tease out where there was an actual story because it was very, I got out of bed, I went to yoga. Yeah. yeah, You know, nothing was happening sort of (laughs) thing. And it was sort of. It was was probably a mixture of nothing was happening and everything was happening. So it was about sort of distilling and saying yep. well what are actually the good bits and what's potentially interesting sure um so the process for that first one was very much about trying to work out what the story sure. was r- secondary to the character yeah. just because mm. i like the voice mm. um and that sort of it was about 
her transformation I had a sense of, but I never had a sense of the things that would trigger a transformation sure. in that character. This time around, I had, so for my second, I had a very different, I always knew what the story was, so I was following these multiple characters as they competed and one sure. would be the national champion. But I didn't have characters. Yeah. So this was actually yeah. a lot easier in some ways mm. because it's a lot, for me it was a lot easier turning up even though I didn't plan it meticulously. Sure. I had a sense of where things began and where they ended. Yeah, where they were going. And it yeah. was about playing around and mucking around with different types of people that would exist in yeah. that setting. Sure. Um, so completely, completely different Interesting. approaches. Yeah. And mm. so one I had, although I never planned the structure out meticulously, yeah. it had its own structure because it was around, you know, three rounds of a competition. Um, and there are pros and cons to sure. both. Yeah. Um, the voice also helps. Yeah. Um, but I have found it a lot, a lot easier this time around. Yeah. Just having a sense of what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> with, with that first draft, digging in a little bit to your explanation there, when you say you, you sort of wrote your way through it, was there any sense at any point in that, in that first drafting process of just like writing the story onto the page without maybe so much editing or any of that? Was there any moment where you just stopped and you thought, I wonder where this is going? Or did you consciously, or did you think it and say, no, I'm just going to push ahead? Was there any self-reflection, introspection going on during that process? I think there was a little bit. There yeah. was a point of which she does have to change. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess I knew the character enough that in that first novel that mm. it would be about someone who is is ambitious and alone and at the end is less ambitious and less alone. Sure, um, yeah. So I sort of knew that much, but it took a lot of effort and drafting and writing things that didn't go anywhere to get yeah. a sense of... Like, I really looked at Michael Haig's screenplay structure. That was something that was really useful t to me because it sort of overlays two things. One is that about the different events that occur and so you have something that that makes a character have to do something whether they i don't know they lose their job they need to get a new a new job it's sure. sort of an yep. initiating incident and yep. you know you have these sort of turning points but parallel to that you have <coughs> sorry that's all good um you have the way that the the character is transforming through those events yeah so you might have between the first and the second turning point they're still within their own identity yep. but then as you move to between the next you know turning turning points mm. they're having a period of questioning identity and sure. then yeah. you know those yeah, sorts yeah, of things yeah, so yeah, i yeah. found mm. that very helpful in terms of the rhythm of that yeah of and the running story. those yeah. two things in parallel and seeing how you know people talk about stories being about conflict that you really need a conflict working on both yeah. an outer level and an inner an level and they're yeah. reinforcing it at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Know? So what what happens in an outside sense is important because it triggers an inside yeah. response as much as an outer response. Yeah. Um, Luke. Yeah. I was just going to ask, um, when, when going through that, would you say that you were very invested in following patterns like that? I think I saw the merit in it because I guess you read enough, you watch enough, 
you get that stories have a way of unfolding. Certainly mm. in, in the Western sure. tradition, yeah. I suppose they do have, mm-hmm. you know, even that frame of conflict is is a very Westernized yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. I suppose. Um, so I could see that it needed that. So mm. it was helpful in that. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> and I think, I think the structures, uh, they help focus you, right? Like you, you have a, a point of... <coughs> This is where the story is going to turn the hinge, I guess. And that's helpful in the first drafting process, especially. Um, but it's not always that, you know, that you have that grounding, right? Um, mm. When you were going through your first drafting experiences, mm. there have been plenty, you know, was, did you ever feel that some stories just got bogged down halfway, that you just felt like you were fighting the page? Not so much writer's block, but maybe a little bit um. of introspection where you just thought, hmm... I don't know where I'm going with this. That's that's interesting. Either that happens to me early on, and I've I've not finished the book, or yeah, <laughs> or I've gotten to the end of a book and it wasn't satisfying, or like parts of the parts near the end weren't satisfying, sure. or um, I'm not sure where how to to follow it up, like as a sequel yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to remember. There was a stage during the Soul Shard mm. Chronicles where I got pulled up by I would call it almost writer's block, but yeah, you would know more about it because I'm sort of stuck in the honeymoon phase of it's it's alive, it's gone, it's, it's finished, it's free, yeah, it's done. <laughs> and and I wonder if that's that's very true because the first drafting process can be quite painful, right? It, at times. It can be. It can feel like pulling teeth almost. That you're just thinking, "Oh, this is bad." Like that paragraph <laughs> I just wrote. You know, it just it doesn't have the voice. It doesn't have the feeling that I want. Um, and sometimes it feels like a mountain that's insurmount- insurmountable to just move past it and say, "No, I'm just going to keep going," and then mm. I'm going to come back and and you know I'm going to figure out this bowl of spaghetti. I guess I, um, I dealt myself a very strange bowl of spaghetti because I was yeah. publishing every that's right. entry of the book online yeah, after yeah, writing yeah. it. So yeah, it, it was, was serialized. Yeah. yeah, it was serialized in it was a diary format. So every time I had a diary entry up yeah. onto the website, it yeah. went one after and the did other. You, had you plotted what was going to happen prior? To, okay, no. so it was really it was that's even more terrifying. All as it went. That's yeah. hard because well, you can't go and drop something in like see i didn't want it to i really actually wanted the project to become like following the character so whether or not Mm. something happened back there is irrelevant because this is where he is now Mm. that's what i wanted to to kind of emphasize for myself and for any readers because you were you weren't really trying to follow a narrative i don't like patterns i really hate patterns you weren't (laughs) going the hero's journey route you were just it it was almost um it did come to a little it did come to something of a hero's journey especially towards the end because then you had to like wrap it but there's but that was natural that's how it got there so um so were you thinking in phases in that sense or you How do you mean phases? <laughs> so that, that hero's journey has sort of an, a particular... Oh, you mean each section between, yeah, between steps? You, really? No, no, not for, the, not for this. Organic. It was completely organic for this yeah. one. There was... I want to call it an inorganic, like a, you know, a little yeah. uh, injection yeah, by yeah, Joel yeah. about 70% of the way through where yeah. I was like, I'm really stuck. And he said, how about you try this? And I was like... Yeah, it, it seems like it might fit here. So, yeah. <laughs> and what um, was your publication schedule? Did you? It was like 
Daily, uh, daily or weekly? It or started weekly? daily. It kind of trickled to every couple of days. Yeah. But it there were some of the longer posts, for instance, that would take me longer to edit them as well. So, um, it's a very modern thing. Yeah. Well, that, it's both modern and not modern, <laughs> I suppose, if you think of serialized digit. fiction. Yeah. yeah back yeah. in the yeah. day as well, or like the yeah. pulp magazines yeah. where they would do, you know, the fifty cent um, uh, magazines that they have snippets of the stories or. Mm. Yeah, on, on newspaper serialized um, like comic strips or something like yeah, that. But it well. was written as diary entries in that character's point of view. Yeah, so rather than you just writing rather than just and like splitting it up. And yeah. then blah 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 blah. No, it was it was yeah. um I don't know, Winter's Day thirty eighth. Did that help with, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I mean I think that helped with the daily or almost daily entries. Yeah. Um, then it would have like it would skip a few days and then you get back and he's like I haven't written here for a while what's going on yeah. blah 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 that, there's a sense of immediacy <laughs> there that I think is for, for most uh, writers not present right because first drafts are written in a vacuum by and large unless you're doing something with a co-author um, mm. and then at the very end of it you sort of feel relieved uh, but also a bit daunted because you know you're coming mm. back to it at some point and you're going to go through it and maybe more analytically think about what's working and what's not. I've just reached the end of a first drafting project that I've been working on for, you know, two or two or three years. Um, and uh, that's a very odd feeling. Uh, even though I've done it before, um, this one in particular has been, I think, a lot more painful because of the gaps in between. And I think some authors say that it gives you distance, but especially when you're in the middle of sections and then life takes over and then you're coming back and you've got your right, your way back into the story. So I'm sure going back, I'm going to find big sections of me finding my way back into the story that I'm going to have to, you know, cut so out. So you have Fix just finished the draft. Yeah. Is your plan, will you put it down and for six weeks or something? Stephen King recommends that. Yeah, That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My plan. So finish that draft. Yeah. Put it down for six weeks. Pick it up and yeah. then have a bit of fresh eyes on it. Exactly. Is that the plan. Yeah. So, so the idea is that um, basically, I've, I've been very lucky with a with a writer's residency in, in May. So basically, from now. Where's the writer's residency? In Iceland. Oh my god. Yeah. I've, it's very fortunate, and it was a it was a huge thing, and it just I'm very just, jealous. Yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> and it just sort of landed on me um, at the I've end. Been to of, Iceland, uh, the speculate. Yeah, and it, it was wonderful. Country. And yeah, so it's a, it's a super exciting project, and that will give me you know the time between now and then. I'm going to do a right. bunch of other writing projects and short stories and stuff um, just to keep the the practice going. And then when I'm away, then I go back to the novel, and Perfect. then I start. Um, and so nice to have a dedicated period exactly. of time, I imagine. Mm. Yeah, and it's able to, to focus you in. Like mm. m- maybe sometimes the second, the second draft is very difficult because you're thinking, okay, you already know the ending, you know the middle, you know the beginning, you know the beats of your story, and now you've got to figure out whether they work. And that's so hard to do immediately after a, mm. uh, after a draft because yes. I think you're very close to the work. Um, and too attached to certain things that are not necessarily. Yeah, you know, that that's an interesting. So, so let's chat about that that attachment for a little bit. So, in first drafting, and I, I don't know if this is shared across a few authors, but I have almost no attachment uh, to any character, chapter, title, or um, or, or pretty much anything 
except for the thematic resonance of whatever's going on. So if something changes the, the feeling or the theme of a chapter, that's when I start to, to get a bit, that's not where I want the story to go. But the process of actually putting it down feels very liberating to me because I can just delete mm. anything at will and feel entirely comfortable as long as it feels the same. What about yourself? I think the first, first draft, mm. I kind of like that idea of draft zero where draft zero yeah. is just right forwards, yep. don't, you know, is that sort of thing. And then the first draft has that sort of a bit more, it's a bit more edited or yeah, a bit, a bit of a it. better yeah. kind of thing. Um, through that draft zero, I just keep going. I just yep. go forwards, go forwards, go forwards. And I am really ruthless between that draft zero, draft sure. one. Of, yeah. That's not just cut that whole Yeah. Up. For me, the challenge, the attachment comes once I've got that draft one. Sure, right. Okay. Then I'm yeah. like, but I really like this. And I, you know, if I take this person out, then that's like, mm. even from a, just a very pragmatic sense, you're like, that's like eight chapters. You, yeah. You know, you sort of. <laughs> Um, which is where the distance is very, yeah. very useful, I think. You're able to be a lot less mm. um, emotional, I guess, about the entire process, which is, yeah, it, that's a really good and interesting way to look at it. I mean, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're looking between <laughs> each other because we all have so much to say. Uh, but Luke, with you, you've always said to me that having, as Catherine said, that draft zero of just pushing through it because you seem to, you know, you'll stop and you'll say, hmm. Is this working? Do you find that you're doing that more or less, do you think? Uh, I can't do a draft zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, only have a couple things going for me. That's grammar and spelling. And I, I cannot get past a bad sentence. Sure. <laughs> so but, I can never finish a sentence and be like, hmm. that way or the yeah. other. Yeah. Like some people <laughs> at the end of that first draft mm. have a really solid first draft. So my draft yeah. zero Mine is usually is draft cool. three. Because <laughs> yeah. I've just yeah. gone over and over and over. Every sentence, so uh, yeah, I, I get I got that as hang ups all the time. Yeah, <laughs> with the story that you did publishing diarized every yeah. day, every couple of days, were the bits where it got hard? Did they create great stuff afterwards, or I think so. Yeah, um, I'd have to remember which bits they were because it's been a little while now, yeah, <laughs> but um. Well, I'm very happy with how it turned out. Yeah. And especially after Joel broke me through that last process, I was just a bit stuck generally. Mm. And um, I think that was one of the best changes. Yeah. <laughs> it was mm. was um, just that little tweak that finished it off for me. It was yeah. good. Um, Did I'm that... I think of... Hmm. Did that experience scar you to writing serialized fiction? <laughs> or did you did you feel quite relieved at the end and you thought, no, this is a good format for me? No, I like that way of mm. writing. But I don't want every book I write to be a diary. Yeah, <laughs> sure. It, it was just, yeah. I'm sure. much happier with prose, like mm. re regular prose, um, which I would like to serial serialize. But there's a problem with serializing something on a website and then trying to get it published. Yes. <laughs> oh, is there? You can self-publish yeah, it, but no one wants it because it's already... It's, yeah, the no rights, the to, rights um, have been taken. Yeah. So, yeah. That, <laughs> they ask you, has this ever been anywhere else? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, because it still counts right, as first, that is first challenge. In uh, technically released first draft mode, yes, it has, but... <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, unfortunately, that's a that's a bit of a handicap. But um, and how long I'm willing did that to live with that. Take that was two years. Two years. It was two a two years. year. Wow. What is it? One hundred and seventeen thousand words. Wow. Yeah. So it was. It's a very ambitious. It was a lot of fun though. And I, I had a lot of fun with and it. And I think good. people are more willing to follow something that long in a serialized format because they're they're consuming it mm. uh, at a regular, uh, semi-regular basis. Uh, rather than say having something like that mm. and just reading it like a book, and and that's curious, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to that at some stage, of like digging into why I think that format's super interesting these days. Anyway, um, with with the with the first draft format, um, specifically at the end of it, uh, let's talk about the the stuff that you feel up. Maybe at the end, just like rankle you, and you think, mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I got that right. Like, I'm not sure if I got the tone of the book right. Have you ever felt that, Catherine? Uh, Between that, so say at the end of, or at some point in Mm. the drafting process, I create a spreadsheet. Yeah. And I basically have um, each character in a column. Yep. And I will have the scenes running downwards. Yep. And so that I can see, so for every, so say there's a, a character called Bob and there's yep. a character called Susie and then Bob has this scene and Susie has this scene and yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. the scenes that where they're, where, yeah. where they're together and that sort of stuff. Mm. What I like about that mm. is it gives me a really quick and easy way of seeing the character arc. Sure, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For a particular, yeah, for a particular character and mm. I sort of get a sense of how they're threaded together so woven together yeah um for me that's what makes it easier to see where something's not working so if even just in a visual sense if someone is disappears for a long time it's like what has even happened to that person sure but also if you can see that they go from hating you know susan to actually now they're really good friends and they're having a sleepover party Yeah, yeah you know you sort of go that's not There's a bit really, in between yeah, that's messing. Mm. Yeah. So for me, that's a really useful way of being able to see the mechanics of how things are working and sure. and and whether there's logical kind of sequencing. Yeah. So there's, and I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there's a there's a really great uh, book, and it, it it's hard when you give writing advice, I suppose, because everyone's experience is, is so personalized and and they work differently, and every writer works very differently. Um, so, so it's hard to give that. But there's this book, um, uh, The Story Grid, uh, by Sean Coyne. And it's very similar uh, right. to what you're saying. It, it's basically, at the end of the first draft, there's a, a breakdown, sort of like scene cards. You have point of view, you have word count, and you have an average word count. Yep. And then you break it down by point of view, yep. by scene. Um, and it, it, it does a little bit extra in that, it also tries to analyze conflict. Yeah. So it gives you positive or negative um, in terms of whether the character is going towards their goal or away from their goal. And, it, and it's a nice way of balancing the tone and the mood of the book. Um, and, I've, and I've used that to help in manuscript assessments because that gives me a sense, ah, it's dragging a bit. Why is it dragging? Um, and then you sort of figure it out. And it's a very useful um, mm. toolkit. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the the Story Grid is a it's an online resource. But he also published a book, yeah, uh, book form of it as well. 
to my mind, screenwriters seem to be very good yeah, at this. Exactly. Like when you talk or you hear mm. screenwriters interviewed, um, Chrissy Canine, I heard, yeah. interviewed on her book, mm. The Wintering or Wintering. <laughs> but she was sort of saying, oh, at the end of the second draft, then I realised that it was lagging in the third act. Yeah, sure. Which I, th- I feel like scre- is the sort of thing someone yes. with a screenwriting background sure. would say. Yeah. I could never say that about my book. Mm. But I could go through this process of exactly. plugging yeah. it into a spreadsheet and going, okay, well, that it's just very clunked up there. Yeah. Or, you know, or yeah, it's a visual representation. That it helps you. very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think screenwriters do think more in scene structure than yeah. I think writers do. Um, they break it down a lot more. Like, it, it, even the format of a script is, is very broken down. You, you see very clearly... Uh, what's happening at any given time. So by default, I think you've already got a template that you're working off. Um, and I think that's super helpful. Um, Luke, we were, we were talking about first drafts a little while ago. We, and I, we were going through a, a structural analysis of, of one of your um, novellas mm. that you were putting out. And there was that sense that I got, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but you felt like, the the changes that you would need to do the no, to the novella felt like you were losing a part of the story, right? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I I think for me, when I start writing, sure. or when I'm writing, for instance, a first draft anything, mm. um, my two primary focuses on character and tone. Mm. So the story has to kind of fit around it, or kind of makes way for it sure so um if anything like you know if i get really attached to my characters maybe that's a bad thing but <laughs> i get attached to my characters so that um any adjustments to something they would do feel like they've changed the whole thing whereas it's not what i what i saw them doing um and I guess I've never had the ability to really distance myself from my work, mm. so it gets really um, uh, tricky for me to let go yeah, of those. Sure. There was a, there's a, a famous uh, director and writer, Alejandro Jodorowsky, and he, he directed a couple of uh, amazing surrealist movies, and I've talked about him a lot on the podcast. Um, and uh, like El Topo is one of the famous ones, and then um, Holy Mountain... But I remember he did a documentary and he was talking about his process and he just does not like changes. Hmm. He, he was one of those uh, directors and it makes sense. He's a surrealist director. And hmm. he said very clearly, my dream is my dream. Hmm. Yeah. Don't come and edit my dream. And obviously that's a very different approach to the publishing process and working with editors. And, yeah. and, and please don't let that advice be, be something I'm advocating to when you go into a publishing meeting and they say, we'd like you to change some stuff. Don't say my dream is my dream. First, first drafts have issues. It doesn't yeah, matter, it doesn't matter yeah. who you are, where you are, first drafts will have issues. Exactly. And I think in, in one sense, there is that difference. And, and I feel like some creators can't edit uh, they just they just feel uh, rightly or wrongly that their work is uh, cannot be modified because at that one sense you maybe you're giving a part of your soul away and I that's something I've never felt um, and maybe that has to do with uh, I don't know respect for your work or or there's there's something there and it, and I think it yeah it, it's a it's an odd discussion I think 
Um, I feel like a healthy thing is for a willingness to be edited mm. to evolve over time. So I think at sure, the start yeah. you should be much more willing in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I can see how towards the end of a career someone is more fixed in their opinion. Yeah. And I kind of have respect for that. Yeah. Too, and hmm. Like yeah. I think... Yeah, they've got experience at that stage yeah, anyways. Yeah, you can afford to back yourself. I think the issue is if you're... Mm. Um, you know, me going in with my first novel to text, for example. Mm, yep. I mean, they were wonderful throughout the editing sure. process. My yeah, editor's yeah. fabulous. But I was also very open to that. I think it's a learning thing. If you see yeah. it as a learning thing, then, you know. Yeah, you're more mm, willing to benefit accept. from it. Interesting. But, no, but at that stage, you know, you've, you've got enough things published that people will take you no matter whether you... Yeah, <laughs> I think you also become more confident. Yes. And oh, I obviously, yeah. See, you've, you've got practice under you. I can even see yeah. this time around. So, you know, I've had edits with um, the manuscripts, say, coming out mm. in uh, overseas formats. Sure. And I think the first time around you are less confident. And this is at a line level, so they're not, you know, massive yeah, changes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But someone might make a suggestion and say, oh, we think you should change this sentence to yeah, yeah. whatever it is. It's a pretty minor change. You are much more likely, I think, as a first-time author to say, yeah, okay. Even Sounds if good. Yeah. you actually preferred your wording, sure, you yeah. could go, okay. Right. Mm. And sometimes that's, it is objectively better and sometimes it's not. And, yeah. and you know, sometimes <laughs> it's just you have an attachment. But I feel like, say, fourth book, if someone was saying, you know, yeah. at the level of sentence you would be, or even second book, you would be much more like, no, I prefer one. Yeah. What, you know? Yeah. 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 What about, you, you've got some authors who, they can write crazy good books, but mm. boy, can they not do anything with the structure and the... Yeah. <laughs> and they've got mistakes everywhere. And what well, about them? Like people who, they just keep knocking out the, the words, but then they've got like really good editing production team. Yeah. And sometimes you do read a book yeah. where I think objectively. Well... <laughs> I think there are some books that I have read and thought that really would have benefited from, from an, edit. an editor's pushback. But then there's some <laughs> books that I'm like, I think it would have, but I know that other people look like Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch. Have mm-hmm. you read that? No, I have not. I'm like, God, I hate, like I loved yeah. it and hated it at the same time. If I had been the editor, I would have cut large yeah, chunks sure. out and been like, this is the story, stop deviating. Yeah. But I know a lot of people love the deviation. The deviation. So it's mm. sort of, yeah. yeah it, there's so much subjectivity. The, the classic example that, that a lot of people use is George Lucas, you know, when the success of Star Wars, um, with, the, with his later works, the, the scripts became a lot more bloated, a lot more excursions were happening. And the editors, the, usually the critical feedback was that the editors became too overwhelmed mm. by it's George Lucas so he knows what he's doing and while he's a great creative person I don't think he has an editing brain hmm. uh, like tuned to the same way a, a script editor would like um, the the classic example of Empire Strikes Back being one of the best Star Wars films because of the editing that happened after yeah. he came up with the script. And it's a really interesting story of, of looking at the original script yeah. that he put forward. Um, and I think his then wife and um, Lawrence Kasdan taking it apart and yeah. making what Empire Strikes yeah. Back is, is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough call, isn't it? Exactly. It'd be cool if you could put two versions in the world. And yeah, exactly. Like what? the director's <laughs> yeah. vision. And director's then, cut. There yeah. you go. And that happens, I think, a lot of obviously happens a ton more with with 
um, films than it, it does with books. Yeah. But you've got the odd examples of, um, you know, to, to Kill a Mockingbird. And then you have uh, the subsequent release, which Can has a whole... Seal Watchmen, was it? Yeah. yeah. And, and you have this whole whether it should have been published. Or, and yeah, the, which is a fascinating discussion. Exactly, it? yeah. And it, it, a classic example, um, so th- there's a film that's very close to my heart called Kingdom of Heaven, um, and it was a film by Ridley Scott. And now Ridley Scott, I think, best work happened before Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. Um, and I think he had the most auteur uh, ship, I suppose, around his work. With Kingdom of Heaven, I think it was a turning point. It if you watch the theatrical release of the film, it's not a very good movie at all. And it was panned critically. And then you watch the director's cut of the film, and it's a vastly different experience. It's one of the rare examples where I think almost an hour of footage was added to the film. Yeah. And it, and it made it a competent drama and a, mm. a really good... And, and the emotional enjoyable beats were there. As well, yeah. yeah very enjoyable. There was so little um, connective tissue in the theatrical yeah. version. like. I understand cutting the fat, so but then there's a limit. interesting, isn't it? Because you even yeah. see that with your own work when you try to cut exactly. things. And sometimes you cut stuff and then you give it to someone with it back in. Sure, and they're like, yeah. this is the best bit. Why would yeah. we... It's, yeah, it's, it's a very hard thing. It's mm. one, of, one of the examples, I think, recently for me was I was submitting a short story to a, to a publication that I submitted to another publication and therefore got rejected by. Um, and then I was rejigging the story for this, this new publication. It was one of the first times I'd ever done that because usually I'm thinking, no, the story is what the story is and then I will write a new story for this publication. But I wanted to give myself the task of decimating the short story, basically reducing it by a tenth, I guess. Um, and <laughs> that was difficult because I went and thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense anymore because there was this, it's a, it, it's a yeah, story. Yeah, you wonder how many things you've impacted every time you yeah, cut a piece out. Right. Yeah. And at the very end of it, though, I thought it was a more competent uh, short story, which was mind-blowing to me. Mm. I just had the ability to just cut like huge sections of the short story, which is you know a short story, so all in half. And then going through it again, I thought, this is much tighter. Yeah. It works a lot better. But the plot was different. And I think it was better for it. But strange thing, first drafting. Um, <laughs> but there we go. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much, Catherine, for joining us. Thank uh, you for having episode. me. Yeah, wonderful to have you. Um, and before we go, we have a few things. So, first of all, speculate's over, uh, which means that the podcast returned to a regular uh, format of uh, one every two weeks, hopefully, if no one gets sick or anything uh, like that happens. Um, and that's how it'll continue uh, for the foreseeable future for this year. Um, there is something that Catherine um, brought up about my, uh, my residency. So... That is going to throw a little bit of uh, a wrench in the works with the podcast, but I think it's in wonderful hands with Luke and Ian and a potential another co-host that will be jumping in for a few episodes as well. So I think stay tuned for those episodes. We've got an amazing lineup this year. I'm super proud of it, and we're very thankful to the guests who have agreed to come on. Um, Catherine, why don't you tell us what's going on with you, what events you have, what you're working on, what have you got coming up? events do I have coming up? I will be at Storyfest in Milton on, in nice. New South Wales. Yeah. I think that's in June. I'll be at Emerging Writers Festival in Melbourne in June. 
Kate Mildenhall and I do a podcast called The First Time Podcast and we're running some workshops on podcasting. One will be in Sydney, might be towards the end of the year. Um, so keep an eye out for that. That's through the New South Wales Writers' Centre and we'll be running run, one through the ACT Writers' Centre as well, which is working dates out at the moment. Fantastic. And Kate is a big friend of the podcast yeah. and it was great to have That's her great. on. Uh, mm. Luke, where can people find you? What have you got coming up? You can still find me at the Soul Shard on Twitter or thesoulshard.com. Um, great things in the works. <laughs> <laughs> that means I've got yeah, lots of things going on. <laughs> I do have plans still. Yes. There you go. Fantastic. Well, you can find him there. You can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. Um, stay tuned also to the Speculate newsletter for finding out what's happening and, and uh, what's going on. Uh, Speculate was a huge success. Thank you to everyone who attended, to all the speakers. Um, it was a super big uh, festival this year to, to plan and to run, but, it, but super rewarding, I think, at the end of it. Um, but yeah, uh, you can find me at the Pen of Joel on Twitter. I hardly ever tweet, so it's probably not worth it. Uh, my <laughs> website is thepenofjoel.com, but I hardly ever post, so it's probably not worth going there either. Um, but more more details about the residency, and uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll do something of a of a talk talk you through um, what I'm doing. That should be interesting. So stay tuned for the next episode, and thank you for listening.